0: Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Well, it's good uh, good to be with you this morning. I mean that uh, sincerely. It's been a fairly full week for me this week, and I really appreciated the uh, the worship and the songs, which uh, have inspired and encouraged me this morning. So, thank you, guys and girls, sorry, um, uh, for for the worship and for the opportunity to be with you. Um, interesting uh, couple of things uh, just to encourage with it's great to see kids involved in aspects of the service uh, recent research says that if you're worried about your kids uh, inheriting faith for the next generation in, involve them in the life of the congregation from top to bottom and it's great to see the kids down the front dancing or at the front performing so involve them engage them uh, that will engage them for the next generation of faith as well it's also encouraging to hear you uh, being involved with Baptist World Aid. Just this last uh, th- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, I, I was in Canberra with a whole bunch of Baptist leaders from around Australia. And we actually uh, met with a whole bunch of politicians. It's an interesting thing being in Canberra, um, meeting with politicians, trying to lobby them on some issues. And we lobbied them on three particular issues. There was a lot of sitting around and then a very short burst with a politician and go out and sit around again. Have you ever done that? Have you ever... Uh, try to see your local uh, member of parliament so let me encourage you uh, to do it but there was 25 of us from around Australia and we lobbied them on three issues one, uh, the reduction in foreign aid uh, and uh, Baptist World Aid is keenly, is is the fourth biggest provider, uh, sorry the 11th biggest provider in Australia of, uh, of aid and yet the Australian government is trying to reduce and we only give 2.4 percent of our budget uh, to foreign aid and the, the, the national standard is 0.7 of 1% uh, and, and yet the government wants to reduce it yet again. We're a very affluent country so uh, this is not what I've come to speak about but I feel pretty passionate about this. Go and talk to your local member. Don't cut foreign aid um, because there are people um, needing it. So we also lobbied them on... Uh, on refugees and the need to enfold refugees from around the world, and then we lobbied them on homelessness. So uh, let me encourage you to, to pray for leaders, Baptist leaders around Australia and uh, our movement as we seek to engage the government on those and other important issues. Uh, but today I've come to, to share with you about uh, this this passage uh, around the title of what I've called The Frailty of Discipleship. The Frailty of Discipleship. And it's something that uh, already... Uh, Joel and, and Raylan have been uh, have referred to as, as they've led us in that opening sec, section of worship. I'm going to get you to do some work this morning, okay? Um, I've had a very long and full week. You've had a fairly long and full week. So I hope you've got your Bibles with you because you're going to do a little bit of work while I'm preaching uh, as well. Uh, but I wonder if you'd join me in prayer as we engage with God's Word this morning. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your Word which is powerful We thank you for your word, which is enlightening and challenging. Sometimes it rebukes us. Sometimes, Lord, it it draws us forward because we're discouraged. Sometimes it rebukes us because we're lagging behind and we need to get up again and have another go. Sometimes it opens the path up ahead for us. Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit engages uh, with your holy word this morning you might speak to us wherever we are whether wherever we are on, on on the journey of faith lord whether it's that we're still grappling with what it means to listen to this god stuff and understand who jesus is and we're working out our response to that well whether we've been a believer for many many years wherever we are on that spectrum lord would you please speak to us this day as we engaged with your word and we pray this in jesus name as Joel said, today is Palm Sunday. It's the day when, in many ways, it's the, uh, it's the uh, mountaintop before the valley of, of, uh, of Holy Week before we reach the other mountaintop at the other end. And Holy Week, in a sense, in many ways, symbolically is a descent into the darkness of the crucifixion before the ascension uh, to the resurrection. And Palm Sunday is the beginning of that. It's a joyous occasion, isn't it, Pam, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem in a very powerful way, mounted on an ordinary uh, donkey, not a, a king's charger, not at the head of a powerful army, but at the head of a, a ragtag bum- bundle of disciples, some of whom were fishermen, some of whom were, were women of, 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 their own, of their own means, some of whom were, one of whom was a terrorist, we understand, who would go around and try and secretly assassinate Roman soldiers. And he has this ragtag bungle and he comes into Jerusalem, and all the crowds are with him. It's the beginning, however, of a week of descent into darkness, into difficulty, into problems, into loss, into betrayal. And we come today to look at a passage in Luke chapter 22, which is in many ways a very poignant point in that whole story. I find it a very poignant uh, story within the story. Of Easter. It's a a poignant story in the descent into darkness for a number of reasons that we'll see in a few minutes. It's a very very simple story and most of you if you've hung around churches for a little while you know this story pretty well and you're familiar because Joel's been preaching on uh, Peter's life with the man at the center of this little story. Peter one of the most um, outspoken, sometimes loud and rumbustious, sometimes almost overconfident disciples comes to the nadir of his discipleship when he seems to give it all away. And if you're only reading this story and you didn't have the story at the end of John's Gospel, that I'm sure Joel will be speaking about in a couple of weeks' time, you would say that this man has lost his leadership. And at this point he had lost his leadership, as we will see. Because it's basically all about Peter's denial of Jesus. It's a denial where he says that he doesn't even know Christ. The background of the story, of course, is that Jesus has been arrested. He's hauled before the Jewish leaders, and they're trying to find these trumped-up charges to get rid of him. Peter, and it says in John's Gospel, another disciple, we're not sure who that disciple is. It's probably the author of John's Gospel. It's not mentioned in Luke's Gospel. But Peter tags along in the darkness creeping along at night at the end of the crowd and follows Jesus into the courtyard where he's put on trial in this mock form by the Jewish authorities it's a story within the larger story of this descent into darkness it's a mini descent into darkness for peter it's a story of his loss of confidence loss of faith the story, interesting enough, of Jesus' denial is in all four Gospels. Each one of them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them has some different little um, uh, details, but they all follow the main outline of this story. Because Peter is a very, very important person in the story of the first church, in the story as you'll see, I think, in the next term, where Peter's story is is tracked on a little bit more. But up to this point, Peter has been a crucial person in the life of the disciples. But within the bigger story of Jesus' descent, here we have another story of one other man's smaller descent into darkness as well. And Peter was, as I said before, a very, very central character in the life of the disciples. He was one of the leaders, along with James and John, and now Peter. The other gospels, of course, as I said, had have additional details. And if you had time to go back into Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, you would see that there were some other details that, in many ways, uh, make this story perhaps even more uh, dark. Uh, in John's gospel, for example, there is this another disciple who follows Peter into the courtyard. He's not named. It's likely to be John. Uh, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't, however, openly deny Jesus as John does, uh, as Peter does, and and that makes Peter's um, disowning of Jesus perhaps even more stark. If you read john 's account, the other disciples there uh, in in that story he doesn 't say anything he doesn 't stand up and announce himself, but nor does he openly deny uh, Jesus as peter does uh, elsewhere in john's gos- in in the Gospels the other um, The other accounts of this event have Jesus actually swearing oaths and calling down curses on himself in the last instance when people are saying, no, it is you. You are a Galilean. Surely you must be one of Jesus' disciples. Initially, and three times Peter in each of the gospel accounts denies Christ, but in some of the gospel accounts it has him cursing and swearing and calling down uh, imprecations from God um, upon himself if he is a follower. He ramps up the depth of his denial, not by simply saying, no, no, I I don't know this man, I don't know what you're talking about. He ramps it up by calling down curses on on himself and swearing and carrying on. So the depth of his descent is sharpened in some of the other gospels. Now, so at this point, I want you to stop, and if you've got your uh, paper Bible, uh, get it out. If you've got your electronic Bible on your your phone, um, uh, get it out. And I want you simply to have a look at the passage that was read for you before. I'll read it through quietly again. I want you to... um, What things strike you in this passage? Uh, Maybe if... um, If you're exploring faith for the first time, this passage is not familiar to you. So what strikes you about this passage? But maybe you've read this passage dozens of times before and heard, maybe not dozens of sermons, but a number of sermons on this passage, so it's quite familiar uh, to you. But what do you notice particularly, what strikes you particularly as you read this passage? Take a moment or two to read, and then if you're brave enough... Uh, there's no right or wrong answer here. If, if you're brave enough, call out a response in a minute. So just have a look at the passage again and see, and talk with your friend uh, next to you or, or somebody next to you. You're allowed to make some noise uh, and say, what strikes you about the passage? Just take one minute or two minutes to do that. Different things will strike different people. Uh, Different things will uh, jump out. God speaks to us in unique and different ways. So, um, anybody again? What what strikes individuals here in the passage? There's no right or wrong answers. Yes, Lynn. He was pretty gung-ho at the beginning. Yep, yep. Quite confident. I'm coming in here. I'll be okay. Yep, good. He started off very gung-ho. What else strikes you? Yep. No, you're wrong. I, I, yeah, that's right. He he, he implicates others in, in in his dismissal. Okay, great, great. What else? <laughs> yep. The pressure builds. And once we've lied once, the second lie is always a little easier. And the third lie is easier again, isn't it? Okay. If we haven't made a stand at the start, it's easier to let that drip. Okay, so the fear builds, the pressure builds, he cracks. Uh, what, uh, Peter's name, of course, means the rock. And one commentator that I read said, the rock cracked into pieces under pressure. What else do you notice in the passage? What other, else strikes you as particularly uh, poignant, perhaps, in this passage? Yeah. There's two people two or three witnesses yeah yeah so in in scripture you had to have two or three witnesses to prove what you're saying these two or three witnesses had proved that he was a Galilean yeah Yeah. exactly Yeah. yeah yeah exactly yep He already knew that he was going to do it, but the fact that, yeah, that recognition of, the wow, I really yeah. do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That for me is the, is the most poignant point in the whole story. Um, uh, any other comments? This is good. Yeah. And isn't that true for all of us? We've got this strong sense of self-preservation uh, in our own selves. Yeah, protect ourselves. And that shows in all different sorts of ways in life. You know. Okay, look, some great insights there. Let me share four things that struck me. Um, and different things strike us in this passage. But four things strike me in this passage. First of all... Uh, it's the servant girl who undoes him first of all. A mere a girl, which is not to dismiss girls. And it's wonderful seeing uh, young ladies playing guitars and drums and stuff. Well, not drums, sorry. The, he,
0: <laughs>
1: he has got a beard. Um, <laughs> but, but great seeing uh, young ladies. So it's not to denigrate those, but here is perhaps a young girl, very young. And he's undone by her. Now, who is it who first witnesses to the resurrection? It's women. The blokes weren't there. The blokes bailed out. The blokes were scared. Who was it at the cross? It was the women at the cross. It was Mary and other women who came to the cross. And often we blokes let Jesus down profoundly. And it's a woman who undoes Peter at this point. That's one thing that strikes me. The, the second thing that strikes me as I look at this passage, along with many of those other things that you've, uh, you've said, is, is this threefold b- betrayal. The first lie, and then the second one, and then the third one. It wasn't like the first time he said, oh no, and then ashamed, he walks away then. He stays around and does it again. And out of self-preservation, does it again. And the weight, it just feels like the weight of that denial in his life. The fourth thing strikes me is, is, the remo- is, uh, is this look of Jesus. Um, I've got a picture in the next slide that's not quite here. Well, we can go to the next slide now. There's a picture of um, you probably can't see it because it's not uh, really big but there's Jesus being led away and there's Peter leaving and Jesus is just looking at him. And it's that look, isn't it, when somebody just looks at you and those looks say something far more than words can ever say. It's that poignant look when deep within himself, poor Peter realises what he's done in denying his Lord. And the fourth thing strikes me right at the end, however, because here is hope in verse 62. Peter goes outside and what? He weeps bitterly. And the scripture talks about um, uh, godly and ungodly repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance but ungodly sorrow is just you feeling sorry for yourself. I suspect at this point, Peter was feeling deeply sorrow, sorry for himself, but also deeply remorseful for what he'd done. And remorse can lead to change. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things that strike me in this passage, but it's, um, it's a passage that I think helps me to grapple with my own discipleship and what it is to follow Jesus. But before we look at that, let me ask a simple question. Why do you think that the Gospel writers, all four of them, include this story in the Gospels? Now, again, um, what? turn to the person next to you and have a bit of a chat. Why do you think the Gospel writers include this story, all four of them, in the Gospels? Just talk among yourselves for a couple of minutes. Now I don't I don't know what um, what you're suggesting there, but let me just suggest two reasons why why Peter uh, why Peter's disowning of Jesus is included in the Gospels. First of all, the great thing about the Christian faith is it is one of the great things is that it's grounded in actual history. It matters uh, whether these events happened or not. These are not just good ideas and moral principles for how we should live but these, the events of Easter and the Easter week are grounded in history themselves. And so it's important that this history is told because not all of the history is good history, is it? Here's the key leader of the discipleship group or, or one of the key leaders of the early disciples denying the Lord disowning that he actually even has a relationship with him, even knows him, even is from the same area as him. And that could have been airbrushed out of the church's history. The writer of Mark's gospel, for instance, probably wrote his gospel because he had a close association with Peter and had talked with Peter. And Peter could have airbrushed that out of of his history, failed to mention it. It would have been relatively easy, wouldn't it? Um, There's nobody else there apart from Peter and maybe this other disciple. If Peter hadn't mentioned his denial, except perhaps later on, as you'll discover in a couple of weeks, Jesus actually restores Peter three times, which I won't take too much of your thunder, uh, Joel. But history is important in the Christian faith. It matters that Jesus died. It matters that he actually rose again. Take those away and the faith crumbles away to a mere moral set of principles, perhaps, or some ideals. But history matters, even the darker sides of history. And your story and your history matters, even the darker sides of your history or my history matters to God. Even the darker sides of our histories can be restored. But the second reason I think why the Gospel writers include this story in all of the four Gospels is because of the audience to which those first four gospels was written were written and the audience of the fir- of those four gospels us today when the gospels were first written the church was a minute fragment scattered in the vastness of the roman empire in a multi-faith world in a multi-value world in a multi-racial world in a multi-cultural world does that sound like our world today where the church was a mere splinter group in a whole range of competing religions and where many times the church was persecuted. So the first readers of the gospel story were often people who themselves challenged to deny their own walk with Christ, their own relationship with him. I think those two reasons are why The Gospel rise in all of the four Gospels include this story. But perhaps the next question is the one for all of us. What is the point for us in this story? It's important historically. It was important for the early readers of the Gospel. But here's the so what question. What difference does it make to me as I engage with this story from the Scriptures, as as God speaks to me out of this story today? on the 20th of March 2016 uh, with three days before or four days before we start a public holiday uh, when most people or at least a good proportion of them will be seeing it simply as a break, simply as time out away from work. But for those of us who follow Jesus will see this as central to our faith. What difference does this story or should this story make for us today? Let me draw four simple points out of this as we close. first of all, Jesus is central to the story, and it reminds me that Jesus is central to Christianity it 's not the church that Peter uh, uh, that we need to worry about responding to it 's not even the ethical teaching of Scripture that we need to worry about primarily it 's the person of Jesus. The critical thing here is that Peter. Denied knowing Jesus. It's a reminder to me that the person of Jesus and, it's, and our response to him that is absolutely central to Christian faith. Something like 80% of Australians still say they believe in God and we might assume that therefore uh, they're uh, believing in the same God that we might believe in. But the touch point is not whether people believe in God or have a faith in Him. The touch point is, according to Christian faith, what's your response to Jesus? What's your relationship with Him? What's my walk with Him? It's not whether you come, we come to church or we're good people, or God's going to look after us. But the critical point for whether we know, uh, for whether we genuinely are Christian believers or not, is what is our relationship. Jesus. Jesus is absolutely critically central. And that's where we need to stand up and, uh, and own, as Peter does eventually in the story of the Gospels, own that Jesus is my Lord. It's not just that I have some vague belief in God and I go to church and I'm a good person, but it's that I have a relationship with Jesus. The second thing that is a great reminder for me, and perhaps in some ways an encouragement for me in this story, is it's a great reminder that our discipleship, even with the strongest of intentions, is very, very fragile. We are fragile, aren't we? The strongest of leaders can fall. The most powerful of disciples can crack under pressure. Self-preservation rises up sometimes and quenches a voice that we might like to have. Discipleship is fragile. And we need to take care lest we too fall. Which is not to say that um, we should walk uncertainly into the future, because in the end, discipleship depends not upon my hold upon God, but upon God's hold upon us. And there have been some days where I've said under... Uh, the load and the strain of things, uh, I've said, Lord, uh, I can't hang on to, uh, I feel like I'm hanging on to my, like my, by my fingernails. Ever feel like that, like you're hanging on to life by your fingernails or your faith by fingernails? And I've said, Lord, I can't hold on to you any longer. Would you just make sure you hold on to me? Our discipleship is fragile. There but for the grace of God go I, go you. We've all read stories of great leaders whom we've seen fall or fail. And we shouldn't be surprised. But we should say, therefore, but but for the grace of God, go I. Our discipleship is fragile except for the grace of God and Jesus holding on to us. And under pressure, we are all likely to do what what Peter did. The third thing that strikes me in this passage is this, that Jesus knew Peter better than he knew himself. Because what did he do? And I think Joel preached on this a week or two back. What did Jesus do only hours before? He had predicted what? Not just that Peter would disown him, but that Peter would disown him how many times? Three times. And all of a sudden, uh, in that story, I can just imagine Peter there, No, I don't know this Jesus, no. No, I haven't been with him. No one, expletives coming out of his mouth, I'm not a Galilean and I don't know him and the cock crows and Jesus looks at him. And here is a reminder that Jesus knows you and me in our strengths and our weaknesses way better than we know ourselves way better than we know ourselves and isn't that a comfort isn't that a comfort that jesus knows that i'm likely to fail jesus knows that my self-preservation motives will kick in jesus knows that it'll be easy to lie the second time rather than the third time but he extends the hand of grace and forgiveness and he helps us on the way and he prepares us for things ahead of time and he says come there's always hope and restoration jesus knows me better than i know myself The final thing that I would say here is that um, it's all about Jesus in the end because the stark contrast here is between Jesus who doesn't crumble and Peter who does. If you read the story in John's Gospel, it's woven in and out of the bigger picture of Jesus' trial. Here, uh, Luke compresses it into one little story, but John uh, has as Jesus, uh, Peter denying it, then switches back to Jesus and then a denial of Peter. The contrast is there. Jesus doesn't crack under pressure, as great as it is for him, whereas Peter does. And that's a reminder to me of that song that we just sang a few moments ago, our God is able. He will never leave us. He will not forsake us. So, as we close this, what I think is an encouraging passage, we need to be reminded of the larger picture in the end. As you'll discover, as Joel preaches in a few weeks' time, failure is never final with Jesus. When we come to Christ by faith, we come as failures to him then. We failed to keep our own standards. We failed to keep God's standards. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes through the cross and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We come as failures to Jesus and we live in our life in Christ as potential failures to him every day. But the grace of God is such that he takes all of us as weak and as sinful and as unknown to ourselves as we are and he can make out of that leaders and witnesses and servants of the king who are here to change the world failure is never final think of your biggest failure since you've become a Christian if you are a follower of Jesus and that doesn't mark out who you are it simply marks out a stage in your own spiritual journey, in my own spiritual journey, to the perfection that is in Jesus, who didn't crumble under pressure. May this passage, as we enter Holy Week, remind us of the greatness of Christ in his death for us, of our own weakness and frailty as disciples, and push us to trust him more. And the reminder that, in the end, as you'll explore more fully in the future. Failure with Jesus is never, ever, ever final. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this passage this morning, which um, is both poignantly sad, but also profoundly hopeful when we understand the depth behind it. We stand here, Lord, this morning, and we want to thank you for Christ, for who he is, the Son of God, the one who came, lived a perfect life, healed and helped thousands of people, taught profound truths, and then was crucified, but also rose again, and all that was for us. And we thank you for the reminder that as frail as we are, even in our discipleship, even when we reach that, uh, that place, perhaps for some of us, where Peter reached, that that failure is never final with you. Lord, I pray that as we go into the week, you would give us courage to stand against the pressure For self-preservation. Perhaps the self-preservation of our reputation. Perhaps the self-preservation of not being mocked by others. Perhaps the self-preservation of not wanting to be on the outer of the group. Perhaps the self-preservation, Lord, at some point in life, as we know that many thousands around the world are, in parts of the world, the self-preservation of preserving our actual life. Probably won't face any of us here, Lord, but for many thousands... To own up to following Jesus means a threat to their very existence. Give them courage, we pray, particularly in the Middle East. Guard us from that pressure of self-preservation and the temptation to lie rather than stand firm, even with trembling knees and a quaking heart. Help us to stand firm, we pray, and help us to own our relationship with Jesus with courage with humility and also our ultimate and deep trust in you that it's not we hanging on to you that preserves us but you hanging on to us and for that we're profoundly grateful Lord Lord bless us as we go into our week give us opportunities to speak and live and work and do and act for you that you might be glorified that your people might be strengthened that others might find faith and that your world might be transformed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: As you uh, present your tithes and offerings before God as an act of worship this morning, whether you've already done it online during the week or in person today, I invite you to listen to the words of this song and consider your response to God in the giving of your money. This week, will it just be your money, or will it be every area of your life? Consider this your prayer, either for the first time or a renewal after denying or